Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is your host, Brian Anderson, editor of City Journal. Coming up on the show today, we have a thoughtful conversation between two distinguished writers talking about race in America. Howard Husock, a contributing editor here at City Journal and vice president of research at the Manhattan Institute, was joined in the studio by our special guest, author Shelby Steele. Shelby Steele is a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, where he's been since 1994. He's written widely on race in American society and the effects that modern social programs have had on race relations. Steele has received the Bradley Prize, the National Humanities Medal, and an Emmy Award in 1991 for his work on the documentary Seven Days in Bensonhurst. Howard's interview with Shelby Steele begins after this. We hope you enjoy. I'm Howard Husick, contributing editor to City Journal. My guest today is Shelby Steele, senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and one of America's most trenchant writers on the subject of race relations and social programs. He's the Marion and Robert J. Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. He received the Bradley Prize for his contributions to the study of race in America. He won the National Humanities Medal in 2004. In 1991, his work on the documentary Seven Days in Bensonhurst was recognized with an Emmy Award. So he's a prolific author, writes often for the Wall Street Journal, and when he does, I know that I never fail to read closely. Uh, Good to have you with us. Well, good to be here. Good to be here. You think a lot about protest and the culture of protest, especially as as it affects African-Americans. We're suffused in protest today in America, whether it's about Brett Kavanaugh or police shootings. Why does protest intrigue you so much? Well, uh, it intrigues me because uh, it has been the fate of black Americans. I'm black. uh, From the very beginning of this country, because of the injustice that they uh, endured, was inflicted upon them, uh, sort of automatically began to protest. Um, And protest has been a part of American life and American culture uh, for the last 350, 400 years. Um, It has been the primary way uh, in which blacks advance in American life. Um, The day that in, in 1964 the Civil Rights Bill passed and culmination of the civil rights movement, which was a protest movement, and I think a very valiant one, um, sort of made protest for black Americans a part of their character, part of who they were, a part of the way in which they did. We're somebody who will protest. That's who I am. Uh, And so the qualms I have about it is that it is so entrenched in our very identity that it may often distort the actual circumstances we're in. The problems that we have may not uh, today be accessible through, through protest. In other words, protest may not be the right tactic or strategy given, for example, the breakdown of the, the uh, black family. Um, well, you know, 
whether you protest or whether you, you don't, if you don't have a father, that's going to be a problem. Uh, and so it, it seems to me, at any rate, that the argument can be made that <clears throat> we've taken protest too far. We've asked too much of it. Um, we, it yes, it brought us our rights in 1964. Um, but it's not, it's, it's doesn't seem to have any relevance or effect on the problems that we face today. Those kind of words would be as soft-spoken as you are, incendiary for some who would say, well, look at these shootings of unarmed black males around the country because of the unconscious racism of authorities, the diminution of the value of black life that allows them to pull the trigger. Is that misplaced protest? I think it is. Um, and I, You know, common sense asked the, the question, so what? You know, when we do not live in a world that's completely uh, free of all, you know, vestiges of racism. Racism is a part, I believe, of the human condition. It's an, it's an impulse, a dark one. We have other dark impulses, you know. Um, but this is a particularly dangerous one. And as we can see when we look back at history and look at the times that we've given into it, the, the, the impulse of, of racism is something that uh, all human beings, I think, have to come to terms with, struggle against, uh, learn all sorts of moral lessons from. Um, but it is not, I don't believe at any rate, it is not remotely the problem that black America faces today. Uh, and I think one of the most unrecognized features of American life is the enormous moral progress America has made since the 60s. I grew up in segregation. I know what that was like. Uh, and when I look at my life today in America, everything is wide open. I'm, I can do anything I want. I can achieve anything I want. I can get the best education. I can, uh, opportunities are abundant everywhere. People would around the world would do anything to be in the position that I'm in. And so it is time for me as a black American to focus on what I can do, what I can make of myself, what I can contribute to my society, to my community. Um, and, and protest deflects me from all of that. It, it, um, it, it, in a sense, wastes my time. It takes up time. Uh, and, it, and it achieves, it does, it, it, protest has achieved everything it can achieve. I think, again, 60, 64, victory of the Civil Rights Movement. That was it. We were free. A body of legislation uh, came into being that protected us from discrimination. I even in the early days sued, uh, used that, that body of, of new law and won. Uh, and, and felt, again, having, having grown up in segregation, took me a little while to believe that it, it, it had receded, but it has receded. Uh, I go anywhere. I don't even think about it uh, anymore. Well, most protests today, it seems to me, seem to be manipulative and hollow. Uh, there, there's an element of pathos about them 
because in many cases they don't even know what they're protesting for. If you look at uh, the NFL, for example, uh, what do you want as you make $10 million a year playing professional football? You, why wouldn't you say how lucky you are? Why wouldn't you be thankful? Why wouldn't you say I live in the greatest country there is? Um, and, and give your children a positive view of their native land, uh, a sense of possibility uh, that's open to them in, in the country they were born into. Um, so it seems to me that, that protest has become a real problem because we, we identify it with the, we, we make it, uh, we give it a kind of charisma. We say that what makes you black is your victimization and your protest against it. And when you take that posture toward the world, you, you're really black and you're, you're, really, you're really proud. Uh, and those who don't, maybe they do very well in life, but they're not really black. They're, in a sense, Uncle Tom's. What, yet, a, what a self-defeating uh, sort of pattern to find ourselves in after centuries of protest that finally succeeded. We don't want to take advantage of it. Is there an element also of protest being a good, dare I say it, business model? You mentioned the NFL players, Colin Kaepernick, former San Francisco 49er, just got a big contract from Nike to endorse their sneakers. Is there a broader cultural audience for blacks as protesters that feeds the protest trope? Well, you've said it very well. Uh, absolutely there is. Um, Kaepernick found a, a market in what I call white guilt. Um, Nike doesn't really care about, you know, what, about the fate of black Americans. It cares about Nike, and it wants to have a moral profile of, of innocence around race that will translate into money that will make, give them a, an edge over their competitors. Yes, they're not, they don't just make good shoes, but they're also they, they're on the moral high ground. And, uh, and, that's, a, and that's a wonderful thing. And, and so buy, when you buy their products, you're buying that moral high ground as well. Um, now, the point is, who's being used in all this? Black people. You're doing all this in the name of blacks. And in, in, and in the the illusion that uh, blacks are now suffering from some sort of constant relentless racism uh, you're lying to put it to put it bluntly at the expense of black americans colin kaepernick as far as i'm concerned is who would he be without his protest he got more attention than, for that than he ever did for playing football um, well this is an outgrowth of uh, of, of, of American history, that that uh, we've come to this kind of a this kind of a circumstance. Uh, so anytime I see active protest today uh, coming from from certain blacks, um, I know there's a corruption. I know there is. Uh, uh, it's not about what they say it is. Uh, it, it, they're 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 manipulating the fear that white Americans have that they're racist. White guilt that the whites are racist. That the, that the whites are racist. The, the 
White guilt is not a feel, an actual feeling of guilt. White guilt is the terror, the terror of being seen as a racist. Because whites know if they're seen as racist, they're going to be vaporized. America no longer tolerates even the slightest hint uh, of racism anymore. Uh, and, and so again, we're protest keeps us from taking advantage of, of that freedom. One, as I say elsewhere, we've written about elsewhere, the biggest problem blacks have today is not racism, it is freedom. The one thing our long suffering in America kept us from, exposed us to every human difficulty, except the difficulty of freedom. And we're not as good and sharp. There are individuals who you see every day who are great at freedom, who do well, who look at their opportunities and get to work and take advantage of them. But collectively, as a group, um, we're challenged by it. And so we, if it scares us. And that le- you don't have anything, anybody to blame anymore. You don't have any excuses. Um, uh, you can't keep using your history of victimization as an excuse. You've got to perform today. Uh, so freedom is, a, is the, the existentialist put it, the burden uh, it's, it is a difficulty having to define oneself in a, in, a, in, a free, in a free world, a free society. If you take that point of view, you have to believe that American black people can follow the path of upwardly mobility that other ethnic groups followed. That in mm-hmm. effect, American blacks are an ethnic group with a very unusual history because of the previous history of slavery, but today should think of themselves as an ethnic group that should do the things that help all other ethnic groups advance. Is that realistic? You should pursue your own self-interest, whatever that may be. In other words, we're just people. We don't need an idealism to sort of lift us above and that dignifies our long history of suffering and so forth. Um, that won't help you when you want a bank loan. But if you've got re- a really good financial profile and you've got good plans for the future and so forth, then uh, today you're going to get that loan. Um, and so the, the thing is to focus on what it takes to get the loan now, not, uh, not on, uh, again, protesting against discrimination. You're, you're going to probably run into a little discrimination. So what? That's not a definition of who you are. That's an occurrence. That's a, that's a bad thing that happens to you. Bad things happen to people. Move on. It's, it is, uh, I don't detect any will in the society, in American society, to oppress blacks anymore. I did. I grew up with it. We were going to oppress you. It's not just to separate you. But we want you. We want to repress your humanity uh, and diminish you as a human being. Well, today that's over with. There's no will to to oppress Black Americans today. It just isn't. Any hint of wanting something like that would be utterly ruinous uh, to to a person to their reputation. They would pay a terrible price for it. Once again, I'm free. 
and and I, I'm, I should, I must be doing what is going to take me ahead uh, as an individual citizen of the United States. I don't need any special uh, uh, attention at all. My favorite uh, quotation on this is from Frederick Douglass back in the, the 19th century, the first really nationally recognized black leader, uh, advisor to Abe Lincoln and, and throughout the Civil War and so forth. After Emancipation Proclamation, they said, well, well uh, what should we do to help blacks? We, we've set them free, but now how do we get them uplifted? And Frederick Douglass said, leave us alone. Boy, we're going to go through a lot. We're going to have a lot of ups and downs throughout history, but we're never going to find a truer, a truer statement about our fate. It is, it is so brilliant and filled with such prescience. It's just genius. Uh, my God, how right he was. That's the trick. That's the meaningful thing. Leave us alone. Why do I have to calculate what, what's going on with white people in order to live my life? Why do I have to waste that time? They don't waste it on me. I want to live as an individual. Being black is a part of that. I have no problem with that. That's, been a, that's an advantage in many ways. It's uh, enabled me to see things and know things about the human condition that I might not have uh, otherwise. So that's an advantage if I understand freedom and I'm moving ahead in freedom, uh, then I need all the help I can get. And uh, uh, that, that's the way life is. And again, protesting just brings the past back into the present and, and achieves absolutely nothing. What does the NFL strike achieve? It, it, just, it just basically says we as blacks can irritate the hell out of you if we want to. That is an impotent man looking for a, a sense of aggrandizement, a sense of power, when on the inside he doesn't know what the hell to do. And that's really what's plaguing him. He doesn't know how to deal with freedom. Uh, he, he, and so he, he won't kneel at the flag and, and won't kneel for the flag and sort of acts like that is meaningful and important, and, you know, I want to say to you, look, King did that about 60 years ago, my friend. I grew up in the civil rights movement myself. I remember, remember my parents were deeply involved, and I was on demonstrations and so forth every other week. Um, so I, I understand what, what, what all that was about. It has nothing to do with you in the NFL today with with several million dollars in your pocket every year for running a ball up and down the field. You are lucky. You ought to be, you, ought to, you should be grateful. Do, do young black male teenagers dress with hoodies in part because they're also giving up on improving their situation? Yes. They're, they're advertising their alienation. They're saying we are, uh, what makes us hip and cool uh, is our alienation, is that we're, we are, it goes way, it goes back far, we are hipper than the society that, that oppresses us. Our oppression has given us a certain knowingness about the world that other people don't have. And that's what, that's the essence of our hipness. 
We know, and it's very dark, we know fundamentally the impossibility of good faith. We know that that uh, that is a that's what makes white people so happy dappy and uh, so forth. They believe in good faith. We know better. And in fact, oppressed people around the world uh, have this struggle with bad faith uh, when they come out. They don't believe. You see when uh, countries in, around the world win the freedom, first thing that happens is you know, <clears throat> they'll try an idealism for a few minutes socialism or something, and then they just immediately go into corruption. Comfortable. Oppression marked them, has marked us with a certain, how could you have good faith if you're a slave? Or if you're living in a dis- utterly discriminating world? That's, what, that's the real damage that oppression did. It destroyed our good faith. It un- it, let, let me, that's too strong. It undermined our good faith. It weakened it. It made it harder for us to, find, to access that, that source of real power and energy that good faith brings. Uh, I know that if I work really hard and done, things are going to work out for me. I'm not worried. That's good faith. Bad faith is I'm still going to be a N-word at the end of the day. Uh, because and I'm no matter, a chump for trying, and a chump, a fool, only a fool tries, um, and and uh, so we we get it's it's we do things like this uh, the strike and like protest uh, around the you know it's almost as though one thing fascinates me when some one black kid is shot by a white policeman there's just a, a, almost a kind of jubilation of people running in and, and uh, giving witness to this and their rallies and their riots uh, and so forth. Yet in the last few years, thousands of black kids have been shot to death just on the south side of Chicago. Uh, we don't protest when there's no possibility of, of jacking whites up for power. That's stupid. We want to keep them on the hook. We want to keep them scared of us. Uh, we want to keep them thinking that they're still racist and have to buy their redemption through us. And so you you have this, this is a kind of symbiotic, after freedom, it's just, this is the sort of symbiotic bond that, that, that blacks and whites have at the moment that is uh, um, unspeakable, and, and, and we, we don't want to hear about it, but it's what so what are our what are our race relations blacks and whites uh, they're about one thing leverage i'm not after truth when when a problem comes up i'm after what kind of leverage i'm going to have with whites and uh so if uh if uh Trayvon Martin is shot or Eric Green is is killed uh the the i'm interested in that because uh, white people pull the trigger or or did the chokehold. And therefore, I can evoke all of three centuries of victimization. And uh, in this one little single event uh, uh, where, where uh, I'm being, uh, with, with particularly with police, I can invite, this is oppression again. 
Here it is. You said it was gone, but we knew better. That's why we have bad faith and don't trust you. Uh, and 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 so that's where that's where we are. And uh, uh, you owe us. So here's my last thing, because this is already longer than walking ten blocks. <laughs> so I recently became aware of an organization in Shreveport, Louisiana. It's called Shreveport Community Renewal. And it works in very impoverished black neighborhoods, violent. And one of the things that happens there is black married couples move into this neighborhood and live in a house, and they open their house to the neighborhood kids. And the young woman who was actually a middle-aged woman was one of the people there who opens her house. And she told me these hair-raising stories, like eight-year-old black kid walked in and said, only white people get married. And mm-hmm. she says, well, no, my husband's right here. I'm married. So she's self-consciously working to change some of the, the difficulties with freedom that you're talking about. So she and I got to talking because I was very interested in, in what she's doing. And I was talking about just different strategies she might pursue. And we had a long conversation. And the next day mm-hmm. she comes up to me and she was in tears. I go, why are you crying? Because I was thinking about our conversation yesterday. Well, mm-hmm. why did that make you cry? And she said these words, who I like your reaction to. She said, it wasn't weird. <laughs> what do you think she could have meant? Probably that it was honest, that she didn't have the feeling that you were wearing a mask and that, uh, and that she therefore had to wear a mask and you sort of had to read each other and, and have a conversation, manipulate your conversation around that and all the politics between you between blacks and whites today are unbelievable. Um, and the anxieties that each brings to an encounter like that. Um, and so she probably is saying, uh, God bless her, I'm a human being and I was talking to a human being. That's all. Hard to get. Well, uh I thank this human being for talking to this human being. Thank well, you, Selby Steele. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.